thank you so much for the worship today, Miguel. I just, I've never, that was great, wasn't it? Yeah. I've also never seen somebody be able to tune their guitar while they're singing. singing. That was really impressive. So... Okay, well, um, Miguel doesn't get destabilized easily, but uh, I'm wondering if you've ever had the experience of being destabilized. Recently, I was cycling with a friend of mine, and we were next to each other. We were heading uh, on a pathway that was unfamiliar to me, and uh, some bikes were coming towards us, and the normal thing for us would have been to cross over to the other side. Um, I was on the left, and he was on the right, and the, and the path veered to the, to the left. And so he went as would be normal, to cross over, and I kept going straight, which you can imagine um, how that would work out. And what happened is his rear wheel hit my front wheel, and I was destabilized. We were probably going uh, a little bit over 20, 20 miles an hour. We were just coming down a hill, and uh, there I was um, starting to wobble. And I want you to be with me in that moment of destabilization for just one second. What happens to us when we are destabilized in that kind of an environment? You know, the adrenaline starts pumping all of a sudden. You slam on the brakes. Um, you might be leaning. I was leaning to the right, and so I had to start turning to the right. Otherwise, I was going to fall. Uh, and then I also was able to pull my foot out of my cleat uh, and uh, put it on the ground. And of course, we're going way too fast for me able to run alongside. So my foot is just scraping on the ground as I'm, I'm bending to the right. This has been a really destabilizing season for us as people, hasn't it? The last 12 months, uh, the pandemic, maybe some of you feel your whole life has been sort of destabilizing. But in the last 12 months, we've experienced some amazing things. We've had, uh, of course, the pandemic, which we now see is the biggest public crisis we've experienced since World War II. Um, and with that has come a sense of isolation. And uh, we don't even know, I don't think, how the isolation is impacting us. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's strange to kind of live inside your own mind and to have thoughts that you're not sharing with others. And that's been a lot of what we've been doing. I think we're going to see over this next season the impact of the isolation and how it's been for us. Uh, we have been pressed towards our screens during this season of pandemic. And so we find ourselves scrolling through all kinds of media. And, um, you know, the media knows how to kind of grab us and, and draw us in. And we experience uh, in real time all of the tragedies and struggles that are going on all around the world. And it can be a bit overwhelming. I wonder sometimes if we are really meant to have so much information coming in. Uh, maybe, maybe only God can really handle that. And yet, because of technology and being pressed towards screens, we are experiencing some measure of that. We've also had a season in which there's been this incredible race uh, awakening. We've been thinking about things that have been somewhat hidden, at least hidden in some ways, uh, not talked about over, you know, um, years and decades even. And we're trying to sort through it all and make sense and to figure out what to do. And some of the, some of the, the, the ways that we would respond to be helpful and some of them wouldn't be helpful and it can be kind of destabilizing. And then a layer on top of that is just the, the politics, right? There's been an incredible season of polarization and uh, fundamental truths about our democracy that we've accepted and taken for granted have been undermined or challenged or questioned. Uh, and then at the, at maybe beneath or above all of that is, is God, right? We're, we're, we're wondering 
um, who is God in the midst of all this? We're asking God uh, new questions of God. We're asking more challenging questions of God than maybe we, we have before because of all these pressures that are coming in upon us. We're asking questions of the scriptures that maybe we haven't asked before, trying to understand. We're asking questions of the church that maybe we haven't asked before. What is the role of the church in the midst of all that is happening? And that moment when we when we we sort of wonder if if it's supposed to be this way and if we're doing the right thing, that can be kind of destabilizing, right? Well, in the spiritual realm, when you talk about being destabilized, you're often talking about doubts. And so today, we are going to talk about doubts. On Easter, we're going to talk about doubts because ultimately, the resurrection is part of God's means of addressing our doubts. And I want to say to you as we get started that doubts are not necessarily a bad thing. Right? We, we sometimes react to doubts uh, in a negative way. We feel like uh, we shouldn't ought to be having any doubts. We should be certain all the time. But doubts end up oftentimes being the pathway forward for growth in our spiritual life. And the sooner we can accept that reality, the more we can go through them and with them. There are different ways that people respond to doubts. Some people um, feel paralyzed by doubts. They, they, they don't know how to move forward or how to move backward with the doubt. And maybe they're having a hard time answering the questions that they're having. And so um, they're paralyzed. And, and some of us, um, we try to pretend that doubts aren't real because we're perhaps uh, overwhelmed at the prospect of what asking the question that's on our mind will really mean. And then there is the way of pursuing doubts. That is to, to say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go after this question I'm having and try to unravel it and understand it. And the example that we're going to look at today in Scripture is an example of that last one, pursuing doubts. Not pretending, not being paralyzed, but pursuing doubts. And this man's name is Thomas. He's one of the 12 disciples, and he has a remarkable experience with Jesus. And I want to share that with you right now. So would you open up to the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and we're going to be starting in verse 24. If you have a Bible or if you have a phone you want to pull out and take a look at it, or uh, if you're at home uh, watching this, we're going to be putting it on the screen. Um, you could still pull out your Bible there at home, mark it up as we go through this. John chapter 20, verse 24. And this is a scene that takes place pretty soon after the resurrection. And you'll notice as I go through this that the other apostles have seen the risen Jesus, but Thomas has not yet. And his response is very instructive to us. John 20, verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, 
I will never believe. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, of course, the nails were going through his hand. And then um, they, they, they speared him in the side. Uh, and then just to check to make sure he had actually passed and water and, and blood came out. That was a poignant scene. And so Thomas wants to be able to see those marks of his crucifixion. Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Some of you grappling with some deep doubts and some uncertainties and some struggles and some angst, some anxiety. Maybe that's the first word you need to hear this morning. Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Well, you may be wondering what happened at the end of my little incident on the bike. And by God's grace, I was able to stick out my leg and there was an open parking lot and I was able to make a turn and not crash. Um, Thomas was in a moment like that with Jesus and uh, Jesus met him in that moment and he was able to move through his doubt and not crash as it were. And I believe that you, in whatever moment that you're in, whatever doubt and uncertainty you're facing at this time, will also be able to make the turn, will also be able to move through it, and find a blessed fruitfulness in the midst of it because of Jesus and because of the resurrection. Now, there are a couple of things I want to do, and then I want to end with kind of an appeal to you. But the first couple of things, I want to think through with you a little bit of the, the journey of Thomas and uh, how he came to this place of doubt. Uh, and then I want to talk with you uh, about some of the lessons that we learn from the life of Thomas and his approach to doubting. And then I want to make an invitation to you for today with respect to where you are spiritually uh, and where you are with respect to doubt. So let's talk briefly about the journey of Thomas. Now, Thomas ended up being one of the disciples who traveled further than any other. He was filled with incredible zeal for the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And he ended up probably, tradition says, we don't know from scripture, but tradition says he probably ended up in India and died there. So he was a, a very zealous man, but he didn't start that way. There were some spiritual setbacks in Thomas life before he got to that level of intensity and faithfulness, which is often the case for us as well. When we first meet Thomas, he's so excited about Jesus that he mistakenly uh, wants to go and die with Jesus. One of their friends, Lazarus, has died, and Jesus says, let's go to him. Jesus, means, Jesus just means physically we're going to go see where, he, where his body is. And uh, Thomas thinks that Jesus is saying we're going to go die with him, and he's like, I'm all in. I'm ready to go. Because 
Thomas is so enthusiastic about Jesus. And this is often the case when we first start a relationship with Christ. We have this kind of enthusiasm. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. But then inevitably, you know, challenges come. And there's this real poignant moment where uh, Thomas ha- uh, is introduced, uh, in a sense, to doubt. He, it's, it's a little bit later. It says Jesus is moving towards the cross. He's in Jerusalem, and he's explaining to the disciples that he's going to be going to his death. And he's going to go, and he's going to prepare a place for them. And he says, you know, I'm going to go prepare this place for you, and then I'm going to bring you with you. And Thomas is not having it. He doesn't like this idea of Jesus leaving and him being left behind. Kind of a theme here, right, with Thomas. He doesn't want to be far from the Lord, and he's concerned. And so some doubt is introduced into his mind. And he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we know the way? Kind of some panic entering in with, with Thomas here. And then this doubt gives birth as we chronicle the life of Thomas through the Gospels to what we would have to say is real full-blown questioning and doubt on his part. And we've already looked at the passage a little bit. It's right after the resurrection. The other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe, Thomas says. And I just want to say to you, because I'm, I'm guessing that you've had moments like this and that you will have moments like this in your walk of life. I want to say to you that um, these are some of the most important moments in your life. These are some of the most crucial moments in your life. These are potentially some of the most fruitful moments in your life when you are questioning, when the doubts enter in. And you are set on a path of discovery. And that's what we find with Thomas. Uh, look again how it plays out. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered, My Lord and my God. Now think about the life of Thomas after this moment. I'm pretty sure that when people asked Thomas, who was Jesus to you? And he told them the story of his life and the story of how he had been with Jesus. I'm pretty sure that this would have ranked among the most important moments in Thomas's life. And it all started because of some doubt. And this is going to be true with us as well. As we make our way through a season of doubt, maybe that's where you're at right now. Uh, Maybe you've been in a long season of doubt that stretches to way earlier than even the pandemic and all the things that have come with that. Maybe you feel like your whole life has been a journey of doubt and you've hoped and you've wanted to have a relationship with God, but you haven't known how to go about it. You've hoped that maybe God was out there and waiting for you, but the, the connection has never been made. The, the reaching out has never happened. And I want to say to you um, that, that that is a sweet place to be in some ways, even though it might be challenging. 
as I said before, um, it sort of matters what we do with our doubts. That's the key. So I want to ask the question this morning, what is it that Thomas does with his doubts? How does Thomas steward, there's a word, how does Thomas steward his doubts? And that's, that's what we're all called upon to do, to steward our doubts. Well, let's think about this for a moment. I want you to notice several things. I've got five that I'll go through really quickly here, having to do with the way in which Thomas stewards his doubts. The first one is I want you to notice his honesty. We should be honest. That hurt that you experienced, that disappointment, that loss, that grief that has caused a chink in your spiritual armor or your faith. And again, I don't even assume whether you're with us online or here that you have established a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's okay. But I think all of us walk in some sort of faith where we're hoping that God is out there and that he is reachable, right? That's common for all of us. Um, even of those, those of us who don't believe that God is out there, um, in most cases that I've experienced, um, that's a sad thing. There is a hope that God would be out there. Well, um, Thomas is very honest about his hurt, his disappointment, his confusion. And I would just say to us that we don't have to ignore those pains in order to move forward in relationship with God. In fact, as I've been saying, this is oftentimes the thing that will propel you into deeper relationship with God. It's not going to be around your doubts that your faith grows. It's going to be through your doubts that your faith grows. And this is something that has been very true of my life. Um, And I've been sad for the times when I've not failed to be honest about my own struggles and doubts. And I've seen over and over again the times when I have, and I've met them head on and really explored them, that God in his faithfulness is, is, is likely to meet me there. Now, sometimes we have to wait longer than, you know, I'm still waiting in some ways for some of the, the doubts that I'm, I might have, but I'm moving through them and not around them. So honesty is the first one. The next one is, is notice Thomas' connectedness. He stays connected to the disciples and he stays connected to Jesus. We should stay connected. Isolation is oftentimes our enemy when we're trying to work through difficult problems and questions that we have. Have you ever had something that's been swirling around in your mind and you thought it was a really, a really good thought? And then you articulated it to somebody else and you realized how stupid it was, how it didn't hold any water, how it didn't make any sense. It made so much sense in your mind and then it doesn't make any sense when you get it out. Well, that's the power of community. And we want to be the kind of community that allows people to doubt in the midst of us so that we can walk with them through that very important journey that's part of all of our lives. And we want to be the kind of community that also points to Christ. Because this is the, another, the, the third lesson that we take from Thomas. Notice his focus on Christ. We should stay focused on Christ. When we have questions, when we have doubts, when we're exploring new ideas, there are so many sources that we can run to. And today with the internet and all the time that we're spending on our screens, there is, you know, uh, just this abundant supply of of um, authorities to run to, to ask the hard questions. And I want to encourage you um, in the process of exploring your doubts to keep the focus on Christ as Thomas does. Ultimately, this is where 
Thomas ends up. There's this poignant moment, right, where Thomas is there with Jesus, and it's almost like everybody else in the scene recedes into the background. It's like they get faded. It's like they get blurred on a Zoom or something, and it's just Thomas and Jesus. And Thomas is going to Jesus with his doubts. And I want to encourage you to be like Thomas in that. Some of the voices that you hear will be helpful. Some of the voices that you hear will actually be harmful. But where you need to go is to Jesus Christ with your doubts. That's the focus. And Thomas shows us that. Notice how Thomas is an investigator. And we should be investigators too. We should research our doubts. Sometimes we confuse doubts with conclusions. In other words, we, we think that because I have this doubt, then whatever it is I have a doubt about must not be true. And that's not actually the case at all. The doubt is just the beginning of the research process, the questioning process. It's not, don't confuse a doubt with a conclusion. A doubt is to motivate, to propel you to ask some deeper questions about whatever the subject is. And that's what we see with Thomas. Of course, he wants to have evidence and um, there's a lot of evidence in scripture for things like the resurrection. There's a lot of ev evidence and argument. Um, and we should be the kind of people who pursue honest inquiry and are not afraid of it. I, I like to think of it like this, that, you know, the, the faith, the Christian faith doesn't come with a fragile handle with care sticker on it. In other words, if God's really there, if Jesus is who he claims to be in the Gospels, if in fact Jesus has been raised from the dead, then we can bring all of the hardest questions that might assail us to our relationship with God. He can handle it. He can handle all of it. We don't need to pretend. We don't need to be paralyzed. We can bring it to the Lord. And then finally, notice this about Thomas. I love this about Thomas. He changes his mind. He changes his mind. And we should be people who are willing to change our mind. It takes a lot of courage and it takes a lot of humility to change your mind. And that's what we see in the person of Thomas. There's this powerful moment where he says, my Lord and my God. That's the, that's the change of mind because he's recognizing Jesus uh, as the risen Lord. Okay, his mind has been changed. And for those of us who are struggling with doubts, you know, sometimes we can we can almost make an idol out of our doubts. Like we we've become so accustomed to uh, this particular doubt, to doubting God, to doubting that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. We've been so accustomed to it that we actually started to wrap our identity around it. And so it would be very painful for us. It would, it would mean a lot of change for us if we were actually to acknowledge Jesus as the risen Lord. And so we resist perhaps the truth of it because, you know, of pride or an unwillingness to change. And if that's the case, then our doubts become unassailable. Um, and Thomas is showing us a different way. He's showing us the way of humility and courage to face truth, no matter where it leads us. So Thomas lessons on doubt, honesty, connectedness, focus on Christ, investigation, and change of mind, being willing to change your mind. So I want to invite you to reach out like Thomas did today. 
on Easter 2021, in the midst of a pandemic and all the other craziness that we've been experiencing, in the midst of your doubt, in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your anxiety, your pain, your uncertainty, whatever it is, I want to invite you. And this isn't, you know, I'm just talking what the scripture teaches. This is not me inviting you ultimately. This is God inviting you to reach out. God is inviting you to reach out to him today. When I was about to crash on my bike, you know, I had to quickly stick my leg out, right? And that was probably the thing that kept me upright to be in contact with the foundation, with the ground that wasn't going to move, even though I was moving. Same for Thomas. He's getting wobbly in his faith, right? And he reaches out to put his hand in the risen Lord's wounds. And I will say to you that as much as the ground is a foundation, Jesus Christ is even more so. Puts his hand. And this is true for us as we encounter doubts, we can reach out and put our hands. I want to invite you today, I, want, I think God is inviting you today to reach to the nail-scarred hands. Reach to the nail-scarred hands. There's a reason in this text that the focus is on the nail-scarred hands. Because those hands represent the very core of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection. And what is that? Uh, we sang about it. Miguel talked about it a little bit. What Jesus accomplished in that work on the cross was atonement. Atonement. Some of you may be um, curious about Jesus or you may be walking with Jesus for a long time. I don't know. At some point, Jesus will make clear to you the invitation to receive his work on the cross, his atoning work on the cross. And this comes with some bad news and a good, some good news. First of all, what it requires of us is that we recognize that we are sinful. That's the way the Bible talks about our failure to live according to God's standards. It's just a word that means missing the mark. And the reality is, is that all human beings have missed the mark. Every single one of us has missed the mark. And that's why the world is in such a state as it is. And we may not have been the biggest contributors to all the evil in the world, but we've definitely contributed our share. And that's hard to hear. It's hard to acknowledge that. And we want to resist it. But honesty requires us to acknowledge our own sin. That's the hard part. The beautiful part is that Jesus on the cross atoned for that sin. In other words, what he did on that cross was to enable us to be forgiven because he took into himself all the consequences of sin. And so now we have a righteousness, as John prayed, that's not from ourselves. We couldn't, we couldn't get it in our own. We have a righteousness that's from God, that's outside of us. It's a beautiful, powerful, unshakable righteousness that comes from the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Christ on the cross. And what it means is that whatever you've done, however despicable, however awful, however seemingly unforgivable it is, you can be forgiven in Jesus Christ because of the cross. So when you reach out to the nail-scarred hand, that's what you're reaching out for. You're reaching out for grace, 
an abundant grace, total forgiveness. And maybe today is the day in which you want to reach out. Maybe everything is moving. The Holy Spirit is tugging on your heart and calling you, beckoning you to God. And today is the day when you are going to reach out and experience the glory and the wonder and the splendor and the joy, joy within reach, the joy of forgiveness. But it doesn't stop there. The reaching doesn't stop there. We reach out to the risen Lord. Not only do you reach out to the, to the nail-scarred hands, we reach out to the risen Lord. See, the implications of the resurrection are vast. And honestly, we don't really understand all of the implications of the resurrection. We need all of life for that. In fact, we're going to need all of eternity to understand what God is actually doing in this world. And we'll never fully get it because he's infinite and we are not. And so we need to keep on reaching out when we have questions, when we have struggles, when things don't seem the way they should be, when we don't understand, we keep on reaching out to the risen Lord. And it's this beautiful process of day in and day out as we immerse ourselves in scripture, as we pray to God and ask him to show us as we involve ourselves in the community of faith and as we worship we just lose ourselves in the mystery of worship which we're all designed to do as we as we reach out in all of those ways God makes known to us more and more and more the wonder and the glory and the splendor of his purposes and his goals for his creation and the resurrection is just one initial beginning marker of what God is actually doing throughout all eternity. And it's meant for our doubts because God said, I know that you have doubts. I know that you struggle. I know that you need a word from me. I'm going to give you more than a word. I'm going to give you an example. He gives us Jesus Christ himself. And then Jesus overcomes death. And then the resurrection He says, look, this is where it's all heading. Everything that is sad, as C.S. Lewis said it, everything that is sad is coming untrue. And the resurrection is the sign of that reality. And it's meant to meet us in our doubts. And this is why the resurrection of Jesus Christ is so dramatic. Why did God bend all the rules and break all the natural laws to cause Jesus to come out of that tomb? Why did he do that? Because he loves you so much that he wanted to give you a sign, a marker of his love. He wanted to meet you in your doubt. He knew you needed something to carry you through. And that's what the resurrection is. Mark Proctor uh, writes this about the resurrection. I just want to read it to you. And, and, and I want you to have this kind of sink into your soul as you think about God's precious gift of the resurrection to meet you in your doubt. The Bible pictures Christ in hand-to-hand -hand combat with death. On Good Friday, the battle was joined, and at first it looked like death had triumphed again. And at the end of the day, Christ was dead, no pulse, lifeless, laying there rigid and cold. He lay there dead Friday night, Saturday morning, and Saturday night. But then, then came Sunday morning. As the first rays of dawn broke over the horizon, a voice came rumbling in on the wind. A whisper from God himself pierced the walls of the garden tomb. Arise, my son. 
As those words echoed deep inside that cave, something happened. A heart that was still as the grave suddenly began to beat again. Blood, thick and cold, rushed warmly through the veins. A chest heaved upward, taking in a great breath. Stiff fingers moved, eyes opened, arms raised, legs swung off the table. He was standing again, life radiating from him as heat from the sun. He was alive. Christ had risen. It's okay if you clap there. He has risen. He has risen indeed. The world had never seen anything like this. All previous raisings in the Bible were resuscitations more than resurrections. They came back to life only to die again. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ was not a temporary victory. Christ destroyed death. He had broken its power Christ's resurrection was a preview of coming attractions. If we belong to him, we will live never to die again. For the Christian, death is no longer the end of the road, but a bend in the road. You might have to veer a little bit to the right to get stabilized, but that's okay. God is with you in that. Death is no longer the period at the end of the sentence of life, but a comma transitioning us from this life to the next. So in the midst of your doubt, be encouraged. That's why the resurrection is a sign to encourage you in the midst of your struggle, in the midst of your doubt. It's an it's a, it's a exclamation point at the end to hold on to, to wrap yourself around in the hardest moments and to allow all of the implications of the resurrection to seep into the fabric of your life day in and day out. And for that, you need to be honest. You need to be connected. You need to stay focused on Jesus Christ. You need to research. Are you reading your Bible? Are you getting in there and really tearing it up and trying to struggle with it and understand it? And then you need to be ready to change your mind should God call you to do so. So God... Today's a special day. It's Easter, and it's so wonderful when Easter becomes a special day in our spiritual walk, too. And just maybe there's somebody today who has not reached out to you, to your nail-scarred hands, to receive forgiveness because of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Would you meet us, whoever we are, as we reach out to you? with forgiveness that is total and perfect with your grace, which watches, washes over us and cleanses us and renews us, Lord Jesus. And I just give you a moment to invite Jesus into your heart this morning, this afternoon, if that's what he's calling, if that's how he's leading. I know he's calling. I know he's leading because he's pursuing you. And for many of us, maybe some of us have made that, that first initial reach to Jesus and now we're destabilized and struggling with doubts and trying to work it all out. And the invitation today on Easter is to recommit to this next year to be a year in which you live honestly about your doubts, that you bring them into community, that you focus on Christ, that you explore and research using great resources and people to help you ask the right questions. 
and that you find yourself like Thomas having one of those moments of renewal. My Lord and my God, this is the beautiful thing about a journey, a relationship with, with God through Jesus Christ is that there are these endless moments of serendipity and joy in which we say, my Lord and my God, I didn't know you were so good and now I know more. And so I praise you. Lord, meet us.